Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. My name is Graham. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance, and uh, it is good to be with you guys all here today. Good to see uh, your faces and, and uh, behind some of them behind masks. Although, if we are seating, we do not need to wear masks, but that is your choice. Um, but uh, yeah, starting to get used to this COVID thing, I guess, after two years. Um, but anyway, uh, glad to be with you guys here today, and uh, I'm excited to hear and see what God's Word has for us today. I want to ask you guys a question as we begin for today. Uh, the question uh, that I want to ask you is this. Actually, we're going to turn to, to someone close to you. Turn to your neighbor, and you guys can discuss this question, okay? So the question is this. Uh, the question is, what do you expect out of life? It's a deep question, I know, and it's early. It's 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning, and I'm going to ask you guys to answer this deep question. What do you expect out of life, right? Um, maybe that's like happiness or, or uh, health or food. I don't know uh, what that is for you. I would avoid trying to say, like, I don't really expect anything out of life, right? That kind of seems like the right answer. Um, but I think we, in, in reality, like, we, we all expect a little something out of life, right? Um, and otherwise, like, what are we doing here, right? We have no expectations. Like, we should have some ex- expectations out of life. And uh, so take a, take a couple minutes with someone who you're, you're close to and discuss that question. What do you expect out of life? I'd love to hear what somebody uh, said. What were some things that you discussed about? What were some expectations that you had in life? Who wants to share? Skylar, what do you have? Jesus? <laughs> Without fail, my daughter comes with like the best like answer that, uh, she, did that she did that last time I had a question as well. I forget what it was, but she's, she comes with like the right answer every time. I'm proud of you. Has some good parents, that girl. What are some, uh, <laughs> what are some other things that you guys came up with? Friendship, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Family, yeah, that's good. Quiet life. All right, some some of that is, some of that may be easier for you in in whatever home you're from, but yeah, those are good. Those are all good things. I'll share a little bit of a story with you guys to begin off. So when I was a kid. Um, in, in our home, we didn't have video games, right? We just didn't have any, right? I was definitely a lot of, like, when video games came out, right? I wasn't before the time of video games. I'm not that old. Um, but we just didn't have any around uh, in my home. And all of my friends, though, they all had, like, the newest video game system. So when I was, when I was young, that was, like, Super Nintendo. And then as I got older, like, the newest one was, like, N64 and then, like, PlayStation whatever that was, one of my friends even had, um, they had a, a Dreamcast. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Dreamcast. Oh, Dwayne is, that's awesome. 
most of you probably aren't familiar with it because it was like, it, it was made by Sony and it was around for like two years and then it just like went away, it just disappeared. Um, but anyway, all my friends, they had like the newest video game system in my family, didn't have any, right? However, every year it would become Christmas time and my parents were like, hey Graham, time to start making a Christmas list, right? And so I would make my list and basically every year it would look identical to like the year before, right? So number one on the list, Nintendo. Number two on the list, Super Nintendo. And then number three on the list was like, th from, from like three to a hundred was like every single game that I could think of from like those two systems, right? Uh, and so I was expecting, I was really expecting to get, a, uh, to get video games, right? One year, uh, one year Christmas day, it's my turn to open up my gifts, right? And I get this like big rectangular box, right? It's like this big, right? And uh, I think to myself, you know what would fit in that box? A Nintendo, right? Um, and so I start tearing off like the paper. Uh, I start opening uh, the, the, this gift and it is not a Nintendo box, right? But you know what I think? I think, hey, sometimes, sometimes this, this is how it works, right? My socks that I got, they came in an old cracker box. And uh, so sometimes they don't always put the same gift in the, in the same box, right? Maybe there's a, still a Nintendo in here. No, there was not a Nintendo in this box. Um, what I got though was this kind of like build-it-yourself toy. It was called Meccano. So there's going to be a picture of there. I don't know if you are, if anyone knows what Meccano is. Does anyone know that? Oh, some people do. I was surprised. I thought no one would know it. Like, Skyler knows it. I don't know how you know it. Um, but... Uh, Anyway, what Meccano was, though, it was like a bunch of, uh, it was like a bunch of metal plates. As you can see, there's like metal plates and like these screws and it comes with wrenches and like a screwdriver kind of thing. And you build model cars and that kind of thing. It was kind of like a more of an advanced version of Lego, if you will. Um, and you might be thinking, well, that's not all that bad, right? Except if you... Um, if you're expecting Nintendo and all of your friends have Nintendo and they're talking about like, hey, I beat this level, I played this game, I got this new game for Christmas, and you're learning how to tighten screws on this like small toy, it's not that exciting. So, all that to be said, I was utterly disappointed because I got something that I was not expecting. And that's a little bit about what we're talking about today is what should we expect in our lives as followers of Jesus? What should we expect in our lives as followers of Jesus? And the answer that we see from our text, it actually might surprise some of you. What we see from our text today is that we should expect sorrow in our lives. Right? We should expect sorrow. But for followers of Jesus... What we also see is that he has given us his spirit, which also will turn our sorrow into joy. All right. Today we are continuing in our series in the book of John, uh, the series we've titled I Am. And what we, uh, the, the subtitle here is Who Jesus Says He Is. So over the past few weeks now, we've been focusing on Jesus preparing to go to the cross, right? We're leading up to Jesus going to the cross and dying on the cross. So Jesus, he'd been with his disciples, and what we've seen is he's been telling them this. 
He's saying, I'm going to leave soon. And, and, he's, and, and so what we're looking at are some of his final words to his disciples. Some of the last things that he shares with them before he goes to the cross and dies. A lot of what we've seen in the last couple of weeks is, is just that. Is, is Jesus telling his disciples, hey, I'm about to leave you. But he also, he also says, I'm going to send my spirit because ultimately that's better than, than me beside you. Having the spirit in you is better than Jesus beside you. If you remember the, the J.D. Greer quote that we've said a couple of times, the spirit inside of you is better than Jesus beside you. And so Jesus here, he's addressing the real concerns that the disciples have that he's leaving them. But he also reassures them that him leaving and sending the spirit is better for them because it is his life living inside of them. So today, again, we see this idea brought up by Jesus. So we're going to explore that a little bit more as we go on for, through our text today. Uh, but let's look at our main points for today. Three main points for us today. Um, the first one is this. Jesus left so that the Spirit would come. Jesus left so that the Spirit would come. The Spirit came to turn our sorrow to joy. The Spirit came to turn our sorrow to joy, and joy rooted in Jesus cannot be taken away. Joy rooted in Jesus cannot be taken away. Uh, let's read our text for today. Today we're going to be in John chapter 16. Uh, John chapter 16 is where we're going to be. If you have a Bible, you can turn there, uh, and I'll invite you to, to turn there and follow along. It will also be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, in the back we have, at the Connect table, we have Bibles, and you can just have one of those. That is our gift to you. Um, so John chapter 16, again, is where we're going to be, and we're going to start reading in verse 16. Again, these, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says this. He says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are saying? Is this what you are asking yourselves what I mean by saying a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the father in my name, he will give it to you. He says, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. 
In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I come from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using fear of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? He says, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. All right, there is a lot to unpack there, um, but let's begin with a word of prayer and then we will get into our sermon for the day. God, would you prepare our hearts today to hear this word. God, would we be open to hearing um, what you have for us today? God, we see in this text that you tell us that we should expect sorrow. Um, God, but you turn that sorrow into joy. And so we ask that you would do that for us. God, we thank you for your son and what he's done for us on our behalf. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, again here, what we have is Jesus, he's talking to his disciples right before he would be arrested and give up his life on the cross. And so the first thing that we see is that Jesus left so that the Spirit would come. Jesus left so that the Spirit would come. Uh, We didn't read this part of the scripture, but this is from verse 7 of our chapter. I'd like to read it for us. It says, nevertheless, this this is Jesus speaking. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And as we mentioned, this is something that we've talked about in the last couple weeks. Jesus had to come Sorry, Jesus had to leave in order for the Spirit to come. It was necessary for Jesus to go to the cross so that he would send us his Spirit. Uh, Last week, James, he preached for us from John 14, where it says this. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And now if you remember, he had that, that illustration. Remember if you remember the illustration of like that little figurine in the Tupperware container, right? Again, that, that was the point of that was to show Jesus went to the cross so that the Spirit would live in us and we would be in the presence of God. This is why Jesus had to go. However, what we also see is that this is the reason why the disciples were troubled. Right? Someone who they had followed for years, a teacher, a friend, a mentor, who they had given their lives up to follow. He is now leaving them. And he's, he's going away. He's going to die. And so the disciples, they understandably hear they feel sorrow. Some of you yourselves may have felt sorrow recently. Or even you might be feeling sorrow right now. As, as we see in the scriptures here, sorrow it comes, it comes when we lose something, right? Sorrow comes when we lose something. The disciples were feeling sorrow because they were about to lose Jesus. 
And so maybe you've lost something recently. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've lost a, a job because of COVID or something. Maybe you've had a miscarriage at some point. Jesus even talks at the beginning that persecution will come. And so maybe you've lost a friend. Maybe you've lost respect from someone. All of these are reasons why we may face sorrow in this lifetime. And the, po the point with that is that with loss comes sorrow. And that's what we see here with the disciples. And that's what we see in our own lives. So what we see here is that we should expect sorrow in our lives. Jesus says, hey, there's going to be loss. right? Persecution is coming. People will leave you. And so we should expect sorrow. But Jesus gives us good news here. Jesus left so that the Spirit would come. Point number two, what we see is the Spirit came to turn our sorrow into joy. Uh, there, there are a few things in this chapter that tell us the role of the Holy Spirit here. Um, but I want to specifically focus on this one point, that the Spirit came to turn our sorrow to joy. Verse 20, it says this. It says, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. It says, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Uh, elsewhere in Scripture, we see this as well, that those who trust in Jesus will have joy in the midst of their sorrow. In 2 Corinthians, Paul, uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this. He says, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed. And then he says this in verse 10, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And so we need to ask ourselves this today, how is this even remotely possible? Right? How can sorrow turn to joy? These two are complete opposites. So how can we have joy in our sorrow? And the answer that we see is that apart from God, we can't. Right? This is literally impossible apart from God. The only way that we can have joy in our sorrow is if we set our hope on something greater than this world. If, if God, by his spirit, changes our hearts and desires to love him more than anything else. Because nothing in this world is able to produce joy that will satisfy a broken heart. Right? Nothing can fix the sorrow that we face when we have this kind of loss or persecution that Jesus is talking about here. And so the only reason we can rejoice in sorrow is because our hope is not in anything in this world. Right? As followers of Jesus... Our hope is in him. And that is easier said than done. Um, but if we look back at our text, uh, Jesus gives us some practical steps for how this works. Um, I want to look at this phrase. There's a phrase that has popped up a couple of times in the past couple of chapters, right? Three chapters, it's popped up. And we haven't addressed too much in detail. Um, but I want to look at it for us today. Uh, this comes in verse 23. It says this. It says, in that day you will ask nothing of me. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. 
Um, I mentioned this was repeated in other chapters, right? So chapter 14, Jesus says this. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then again in John chapter 15, Jesus says this. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Right? There is clearly something that Jesus is trying to tell us here, right? Ask. Right? Just ask. One, one thing that is important to note here is that there is a caveat here, right? There, there is a condition for us to be able to ask everything, and that is that we ask in Jesus' name. He says, whatever you ask of the Father in my name. And so what does it mean to ask in Jesus' name? Does that mean that we just use the tagline, in Jesus' name, at the end of our prayers? I would suggest that it goes uh, much deeper than that. To ask in Jesus' name means that we ask according to his will. And if we're wondering how do we know what God's will is, well, I think a good place to start is to, is to ask God for what he has already promised us. Right? We can ask God for what he has already promised us. Here's what I mean. Um, if you have kids, you can probably relate to this. So um, if you know uh, me and my family, uh, you know, my wife, Melissa, here and I, we have a five-year-old daughter named Skylar. You've already been introduced to her from earlier. Um, Skylar often asks things, asks to do things and to have things as she should, right? So she might ask to watch a show, right? Or she might ask to have a snack or, to, or something like that. And sometimes when she asks something, she has already been given an answer from either myself or Melissa, right? So... Let, I'll give you an example. She'll maybe ask Melissa. She said, Mom, can I have a snack? And uh, she, she may have already been, been told an answer from one of us, right? Depending on, on my answer, you can say she is kind of asking in my name or not. So if I said, yes, you can already have a snack. If I have already told her that, uh, then essentially what she's saying is, Dad has, has said that I can have a snack, therefore I'm asking in his name, right? I'm asking what he has already promised me. He made a promise, and I'm asking him to keep it. However, of course, what we know is that uh, often kids will do this for, for, uh, to try and get uh, their parents to give them a different answer, right? So, she, so what Melissa will say is, what did Dad say? In other words, did he already give you an answer? Are you asking in his name? And so similarly, we can ask God what we've already been promised by Jesus. This is how we ask in his name. And so what is a promise that we see from this passage? Well, we see that for those who have put their faith in Jesus, who have the spirit of God in them, that their sorrow will turn into joy. And so in times of loss, and when we experience sorrow, and not if, but when we experience these things. We can confidently ask, God, would you turn my sorrow into joy? Would you set my heart on something bigger than this world? The, the joy of knowing the God of the universe and the love that he has for me. We see that Jesus left so that the Spirit would come. We see the Spirit came to turn our sorrow into joy. And finally, we see that joy rooted in Jesus cannot be taken away. 
Um, Jesus, he uses this illustration of the woman who is in labor, right? He talks about the pain that she experiences in giving birth, but the joy that she has once the baby has been brought into the world. Um, I obviously cannot uh, say that I know exactly what that's like to experience joy in such physical pain. Uh, one thing to, to note, though, is that Jesus doesn't say that our pain will be taken away, right? Women who have had children here, did your physical pain go away immediately when you had a child? No. Someone said no. So I know more people here have children. No, your, your pain does not go away when you have a child. But was there joy when you brought a child into this world? Watch what you say. Your children might be in this room. Um, Jesus says, just like that, just like a woman who has brought a child into this world, you may have pain, but your sorrow will turn into joy. He says, your hearts will rejoice and no one can take your joy from you. I believe that we get this promise because there may be times when the world will try to steal our joy from us. Right? Jesus says this in verse 20. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. On this passage, there was a, there's a commentator named Matthew Henry, and he writes this. He says, that which is grief of the saints is joy of sinners. We read this uh, two weeks ago when Dylan preached for us. Jesus says this. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This is a tough truth to face. This, this world may try to steal your joy from you. But Jesus' promise is much better. Right? No one will take your joy from you. No one can take what is rightly yours that has been given you from God, God's own spirit. If you have truly put your faith in Jesus, if your joy is rooted in him, no one can take that from you. The uh, Apostle Paul, he writes this in Romans 8. He says this, he says, What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of the Father? Who indeed is interceding? For us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? He says, as it, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Then he says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why can no one take this joy away from us? Because Jesus has overcome this world. Verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. He says, in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Because if our hope is in Jesus and our hope 
lies in something that will never be defeated, never be destroyed, always will prevail. And in that, we have nothing to worry about. The world may rejoice in our sorrow, but we rejoice that Jesus has overcome the world. How did he do this? He went to the cross. He gave up his life on the cross to die. On the cross, he faced the wrath of God for the sins of the world. He was buried and he rose again three days later, proving that not even death has a hold on him. And he overcame the world by laying down his life and raising it back up again. And if our hope lies in him, then nothing can take our joy away. Right? We talked earlier about sorrow coming from loss and that those who often... That, that, that often when we lose something, we will have sorrow. And I would suggest that this is actually a healthy part of being Christian. And this is why. After this conversation with, with his disciples, right, Jesus, we talked about he would go to the cross. And so he went to lose his own life, right? But he did so for the joy of the Father. And as Christians, we are called to lose ourselves to become more like Jesus. And we are called to a life of looking less like our natural selves and so that we can look more and more like the image of God that we were created to be. And that requires loss. But what we gain is far better. What we gain in return is the spirit of God that produces joy in us, even in our sorrow. I'll close with this. This, uh, this week I heard a, a pastor named John Mark Comer, and he said this. He said, uh, he, he was talking about living as a Christian, and he says this. He says, if you expect it to be a life of Sabbath, right? if you expect it to be a life of Sabbath, this kind of Christian version of Buddhism where you just kind of get some good ideas and practices to become a nicer, happier person, he says, if that's your expectation, you're going to be full of a spiritual neuroticism. He says, but if, you're, if you expect life to be a kind of spiritual war, a kind of fight with the world, the flesh, and the devil, then I think you'll end up discovering that following Jesus is hard, but it is beautiful and rich and satisfying. In other words, following Jesus is not a life of coasting. It is wrestling with real issues, with sorrow and pain and loss, and wrestling with how we relate to God in the midst of all of that. Jesus tells us that we should expect sorrow. However, he also tells us that through faith in him, we can expect that sorrow to turn into joy. And if that joy is truly rooted in Jesus, in in the eternal love of Jesus, then no one can take that away from us because Jesus has defeated death and he has overcome the world. Let's close in prayer. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world. 